So, what are we doing today? It's <laughs> 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 a record skip. Like, all right. What? So, we are not Horror Academy. We are now Pomegranates and Pitchforks. A.K.A. the podcast formerly known as Horror Academy. Yes. Yes. Much like Prince. Much like Prince. But (laughs) different. But seriously, Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Yeah, we are now Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Uh, Our problem was that we technically shared our name with like two other podcasts. I think four or more other podcasts. Oh, God. <laughs> we yeah. shared our name with a lot of other things. A lot of other things. And we didn't want to do that, especially because, well, the first, I don't know, few months since starting this was kind of us testing out whether or not we liked this, whether or not we jived with it. And it's not like our podcast has blown up, but we've definitely discovered that we liked it. Yes. We definitely enjoy doing this and want to set ourselves apart from yes. those other people. Those other people. <laughs> so, no disrespect to the many other horror academies out there, but we are branching off in a different direction. Jumping ship, as it were. Jumping ship to a name that is an actual, not everyone else's name, <laughs> which is good. Uh, so yeah, look forward to, we've also decided to increase our consistency. We didn't want to lose quality, so we're not, we're not going to be able to post every week because we both have full-time jobs and I like to keep a lot of research, like factual integrity. Yeah. I want to, I want to be mostly correct when I'm telling these stories, I want to have a quarter of an idea of what I'm talking about. And so I just can't do a podcast a week with that much research. No. Absolutely and also not. maintaining a real kid job. <laughs> <laughs> a big kid job? A big kid job. So we decided to do every other week. So I believe we will be posting Fridays every other week from now on. Deal with it. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully that'll be a good, you know, jumping off point for us to actually start taking our podcast seriously or seriously or (laughs) seriously (laughs) or so yeah, welcome to, welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. I'm Alexandria Youngray and my lovely co-host is Sunshine Bello. I don't think you need to say my name like that anymore. <laughs> but it's so fun. Also, uh, sorry, we're getting I, real French in this story. I uh, I couldn't think of a uh, clever introduction, so it just had to be shitty. I was like, That's, oh, that'll okay. be funny. Uh, I'll yes. be an asshole. Everyone I'll will love it. I'll just be an asshole. Well, that's okay. That's our relationship. Yeah. It's just being dicks to each other. Yeah, pretty much. In an incredibly loving way. Yes. So you said we were going to get uh, friendship in this bitch? Friendship? French! French! 
Yes, it gets French. It doesn't start French, but there's a lot of French. So French like maybe ranch. French like ranch. I actually I went out of my way to look up a lot of the trick like of the Oh my god, I know words. <laughs> Pronunciations. Mm-hmm. Fuck me. Ooh, so you're gonna be getting fancy up in here? Well, I'm gonna try. I would like the pronunciations to sound better than an American that's not trying. Okay. So you're gonna (laughs) hit those accent aigus? I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't speak any French and I don't speak any German. Didn't you take French with me in junior high? I took Spanish. Oh, always Spanish. I always took Spanish. Always Spanish, okay. Yeah. 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 So I'm used to things being phonetic and not French. But I tried. There's a lot of French. It looks like we're starting with werewolf etymology. Oh yeah. Okay. So we're doing we're doing werewolves today. And we kind of introed it by doing Little Red Riding Hood. And I told you then that while I was researching Little Red Riding Hood, werewolves made sense. If that made sense. That didn't make sense. No. No, it didn't. Ah, fuck me. Okay. So while I was researching werewolves, I was researching werewolves and I was researching Little Red Riding Hood at the same time. Mm -hmm. And they came together. Right. They naturally fit together. The same mythos. Mm -hmm. Or at least the same cultural kind of They obviously influenced each other. And so I do feel like Although they're not technically the same story, mm-hmm. they are absolutely... I think Red Riding Hood was a really good prequel. Okay, yes. So just sort of like, I'm not going to go over it, but keep it in in your mind's eye while we're going through this, that we have gone through Little Red Riding Hood. Right, and that sort of serves as a prologue to what you'll be learning about werewolves today. Yes. Um, and there's no way we're getting through all of this content in one episode. It might be like three episodes. We might do like a early stuff and then later stuff and then like the media renditions of it. Ooh, I like that. If that. Yeah, I think that jives. Does that work for everybody? Is everybody happy with that? Is that good? Yeah, we have a quorum. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, God, I'm gross. Anyway, I love it. So let's start with werewolf etymology. Yeah, I love etymology. Yay, nerd stuff. Okay, werewolf comes from Old English. Were, meaning man, and wolf being wolf. Being but, wolf. You know, spelled W-U-L-F. So Ooh, like you know. Beowulf. Yeah, so that's how you know it's Old English, because they didn't know how to spell shit back then. <laughs> anyway, so... That's that's the old English. You have lycanthrope, eh, lycanthrope, which is Greek, lycos being wolf and anthropos being human. Oh, I never knew that one. Yeah. You have the French one, which is loup-garou. Wait, how do you say that? Loup, I think it's loup-garou or loup-garou. How is it spelled? It's L-O-U-P. Uh-huh. G-A-R-O-U. So, okay, interesting. Yeah. I'm not, I, you know, I was hoping that maybe I would feel like I could pronounce it when you said it, but I don't want to try. 
Yeah. I've definitely Lou- heard it before. Lou Guru. Yeah. I think it's definitely um, right to silence that P. Yeah. But essentially think like lupus or lupine. Right. Um, so it's definitely a worthy of an etymology discussion just because it's obviously influential in the words that we use yeah. to mean wolf. Yes. Uh, then there's the Old Norse word that's warg or varg. Varg. Which simultaneously means wolf and criminal. Interesting. So they have the same word for wolf and criminal, and they don't, there's not a, like, a man-wolf thing, it's just wolf? Uh, there's other stuff that I'll get into when I get into Norse stuff, but, um, Varg is not, like, a common English wolf word, Mm -hmm. but it was what Tolkien's giant wolves Mm -hmm. were. Okay. Um, and then it became like a, a thing for other werewolf creatures in later fantasy things. Okay. So that's, that's more of that sort of transition into more modern, uh, Mm -hmm. horror and stuff, less mythology. Yeah. Okay. Cultural. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So like, I think World of Warcraft has a, like a werewolf race. And they are the worgen. The worgen. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, warg. And then, there's not specifically, like, a Latin werewolf, Mm -hmm. but from Latin, we get lunatic. Oh, yes. Which, luna meaning moon. Yeah. And, um, the word lunatic is taken from the belief that moon cycles impact sanity. Oh, that's so exciting. I hope we get into that more. I love that. Well, the thing is, there actually is some truth to that. Right. Lunar and... calendars are super interesting because they are seen mm-hmm. as being very, like, full of hokum and hooey when in actuality, like, lunar calendars are still the most accurate way to plant your crops and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, I don't really feel the need to, like, believe in the astrology section that somebody puts in the newspaper but apparently and this does sound kind of crazy but apparently if you go to a like a mental asylum there are more violent outbursts from patients during the full moon interesting and that's like a statistical probability yeah that's just real fucking weird Well, and something that I've always heard that I think is hard to really quantify at this point with so many women, like, you know, like, like myself being on a hormonal form of birth control or something, throwing it Mm -hmm. off. But I have heard that uh, more consistently than not, your cycle will naturally sync up with the uh, with the cycle of the moon. Yeah. And that maybe it was just when I was like a super uh, what is the word? Easily influenced and well, I was getting there, but I was also trying to highlight the fact Mm -hmm. that I was probably more easily influenced at that time. Stop it. (laughs) By the people I was around, but that, you know, when I wasn't putting nothing in my body, Mm -hmm. I I felt as though that was happening as well. So it's interesting. Well, the menstrual cycle is supposed to be a 28 day cycle. Yeah. And obviously it's give or take for every woman because like, fuck uteruses. (laughs) 
Well, and there's so many other uh, environmental and health uh, factors that will affect it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, so every woman's cycle is going to be all over the place. But the, generally speaking, when you're talking about, you know, a menstrual cycle, its average is a 28-day cycle. Yeah. Which is the cycle of the moon. Yeah. And this isn't going to come up for a while. Like, we're talking, like, layer media. Mm-hmm. But there is some blah, 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 getting your first period metaphor in werewolves. Oh, cool. I was, yeah. so as soon as the moon came up, I think that's why the moon is exciting is because it has that, it does have such a heavy sort of connotation with feminine power. Mm-hmm. Or just, yeah, I, I would say feminine power, right? If you're going to look at it in the more esoteric kind of light. Um, and so it's really interesting for me to have it come up in the context of werewolves. And it's exciting because I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, hopefully being able to see some parallels between, uh, I guess, my experience as a female and also my understanding of what it's meant to be a woman culturally for a very long time. I, I, I don't know. I'm looking forward to potentially seeing some crossover between that and werewolf lore. Uh, you know, there's not, you know, I was, so I was, I was reviewing stuff today. Mm-hmm. I was really disappointed. These stories are really male centric. That's a bummer. Cause I feel like they yeah. could easily not be, and it would make more sense. Yeah. However, there's, when you get into like the middle ages, mm-hmm. there's a lot of crossover of werewolves and witch hunts. Right. So people so, having, like, higher instances of thinking they see a werewolf when witch hunts are happening? Yeah. yeah. Well, and also, like, people being, like, tried and convicted and executed for werewolfism during the witch hunts. Oh, really? And was mm-hmm. that was that mostly men, or was that... It was mostly men. So it's kind of like women are witches, so, men are werewolves? Well, I almost want to... I almost think that that might be what it is, is that, like, you know, the more, I guess like, violent and bestial form of, like, cohorting with the devil and being evil is the male thing. Whereas, for the most part, witches in witch hunts were female. Right. Super sexual, naked, riding the broom, Mm -hmm. having sex with Satan. Yeah. And there's even some, like, ability to shapeshift into animals for witches. Yeah. But they were tried as witches not well, werewolves. And then, and then I'm sure we're going to get into this a bit with the Native American belief systems regarding things like skinwalkers and and um, my understanding at least is although there was still a lot of patriarchal goings on in Native American culture you could be a female skinwalker just as easily as a male. Oh totally. And that yeah. my understanding is that that was somebody who it wasn't so much like uh, a curse like I was bit by a werewolf but it was somebody who was like uh a shaman or a It was magician. like being a witch. Right. Yeah. And they chose that for themselves and pursued it rather mm-hmm. than it being some sort of like curse. Well, in, in the older werewolves, there's actually, there's a lot more ways to consensually become a werewolf mm. than to non-consensually become a werewolf. Interesting. Ooh, okay. We should but, get back on track. Cause this is, yeah, I'm excited about all this information and I feel like I'm yeah. going to lead us all, all straight into the woods. <laughs> don't do that Pun intended. Not right now <laughs> <laughs> the woods is not where you go <laughs> yeah okay so that's some etymology 
I pulled up a few examples of like real life scenarios where we might get what we believe or what we did believe was the werewolf. Uh huh. There. So first off, there's clinical lycanthropy, which, which means is what? so it's a psychological disorder. Okay. It's in the DSM. Uh, it's where a person believes that they can transform into, have transformed into, or is a non-human animal. It doesn't have to be a wolf. Okay. And it's, they found that it's basically like a, a kind of schizophrenia. Okay. I was wondering if it was like a schizophrenia or DID sort of issue. Yeah. The, the similarities are, are real, real heavy crossover. So it's probably a, just another kind of schizophrenia that you can have. Essentially, basically the same kind where you think that you're Napoleon Bonaparte or Jesus. Right. I, that's something I... Just an animal. Right. I'd be interested to know, you know, obviously psychological disorders run the gamut. And I'm sure that uh, there have been expressions of them for, you know, ever. But mm. uh, something that I, I doubt there's really any hard data on, but I'd be really interested to know is... <sighs> Like kind of a which came first, chicken or the egg scenario. It's like where people, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could see how somebody in our culture, if they had schizophrenia, might end up developing the belief or whatever, the, the reality that, um, you know, they're a werewolf or something like that. But then how likely would that have been in Renaissance era or, you know, when these mythos weren't so. Oh, they were a lot more common in the Renaissance. <laughs> well, w- w- what do you mean was more common? Crazy people? No, the belief that there were were- that werewolves were real, right. The thing the belief things I guess I just mean how the variety of information of it is that's available to people. I wonder how much that affects their psychological state, you know, mhm. I definitely think that, like with delusions of grandeur, mm-hmm. you have to be aware of the thing that you think you are. Right, exactly. And I would assume it's that they with schizophrenia or with yeah, with schizophrenia and people clinical lycanthropy, right? Like mm-hmm. to believe you're a dog, okay, like dogs have been around for a long time, which I'm also interested mm-hmm. to see how that connects to werewolves, but yeah. So so yeah. I, I guess there is clinical lycanthropy, but the belief in werewolves would have technically have to have predated it. Right. Okay. You're being much yeah. more concise with how you're describing that. Cause it's exactly what I was wondering. I have a really, really detailed outline. <laughs> <laughs> Does your outline cover cl- clinical lycanthropy versus when people werewolf mythos were really common? Uh, well, I mean, it's not like in there in the outline, but I did create the outline, so I'm pretty aware of dates. Although I have no idea when clinical lycanthropy became a thing. I imagine probably around as long as we've had the belief that werewolves were a thing. Yeah. Another thing is hypotrichosis. And that is, it's literally the condition where you get just a fuck ton of extra hair. Usually it's like on the face. And it's specifically the kind of hair like you have on your head, not just like an excess in the body hair that we all have all over us. Because there are different types, like your pubic hair and your head hair and your eyebrows. Those are all different. Yes. Versus like the peach fuzz, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not the same thing as the peach. It's not overgrown peach fuzz. It's a different variety of hair, isn't it? It's an an overgrowth of all of the hair. 
So you're so generally speaking, your whole body gets like way hairier than normal. Mm -hmm. And usually the thing that makes it like, oh, that's hypertrichosis and not just a really fucking hairy person is that you get hair on your face. Right, like on your forehead. So very yeah, very teen wolf. Right. Um I should probably have pulled up a picture of that. But I didn't. Oh, I'm I'm familiar with uh, media adaptations of hypertrichosis. I'm sure our listeners are just as passionate about X-Files as I am. (laughs) There's an episode. uh, I forget what it's called, but it has the dog boy in it who is a sheriff. It's great. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, well, and also there's, like, uh, I know of at least one, like, really, really famous circus carny freak. Mm-hmm. I Those words are really pejorative, but that's what they were. Uh, who was just a dude with hypertrichosis. Right. I think that's kind of what, I think that true life story is actually what uh, spawned the X-Files episode. Oh, cool. Yeah, That's kind of how they um, do. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then a final thing is rabies. Of course. That makes sense. So um, I checked out the CDC on rabies. And so rabies is a virus that infects the central nervous system, mm. which eventually causes disease in the brain and ultimately death. So it's a degenerative nerve disease. Yes. Okay. It's, oh my God, it is the butt suck. Of death. Um, so it starts simply enough in, in people anyway, it's, you know, fever, headache, general weakness. It starts like the flu or a cold the way, like a lot of, you know how that's always the start. That's always the start of like the doom diseases. That's probably because that's the start of every ailment, right? Like fever, nausea, uh, cold symptoms, headache. Chills, fever. That's like our body's standard response, right? So everything's Mm going to start out super innocent. So, you know, like syphilis, AIDS, the Black Plague, rabies. It's all like, oh, I have a cold. Suddenly I am death. That's so upsetting. So so that's how it starts. Is there a a a human vaccine? There's a rabies vaccine. Yeah. Thank God. Yep. Um, Now... This initial stage, the, like, I'm getting cold symptoms, that lasts one to three months. It can be as short as a few days. And there is at least one recorded case of it lasting longer than six years. Really? Like, just, so that would be sort of when the virus is basically gestating in their body, right? And is still growing to the point of being It's just starting to get icky. Yeah, but it's not actually, like, fucking you up yet. Interesting. Okay, that's impressive. Whoever lived six years in those early stages, like, good for you. That's just, like, mad motherfucking, um... Well, their immune system must have been killing it. If they were able to keep the virus at that level for that long before that finally was able to multiply to a point where it took them out. Like shit. Yeah. No, that's some like hella immune system. Kind of like those people that like managed to live with just HIV during the AIDS epidemic Mm -hmm. before we had like decent treatments. Yeah. And it was like, what is your immune system made out of? Do you just nap? Achilles immune system. Do you just like nap and (laughs) eat chicken breasts and kale like all day? (laughs) 
So um, now a lot of times the gestation period kind of depends on the location and severity of the contaminated wound Mm. and how the virus is introduced or how much of the virus is introduced. Right. That makes sense. Um, And uh, I didn't write this down because I'm a weirdo, but uh, the virus is transmitted by bite or scratch by a rabid animal. Already rabbit animal. So how is it by scratch? Is that because they get their saliva on their claws? or I mean, because, like, dogs, like, it's, they're, they don't it's, secrete anything out of their... Well, I guess they do actually have uh, glands in their paws that they secrete some sort of a scent out of. But so is it that secretion yeah. or what is the deal? It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, like, clean nails scratch. But, yeah, basically, I imagine what it is is that um, dirty... Nails, dirty hands, maybe already covered in blood. Yeah, or, or saliva. I mean, animals lick their paws, right? Because I thought it was mm-hmm. submit- transmitted through bodily fluids, right? So I guess dogs. Yes. So that's what it is. It's just it tends to be a wound mm-hmm. that transmits it. Uh, and then the... Di- okay, so blah, blah, blah. It gestates. Then the disease progresses into more specific symptoms, and that's when you get the shit fuck that is rabies. So you get insomnia, anxiety, confusion, slight or partial paralysis, excitation, hallucinations. What is excitation? Uh, being excitable. Okay. Because, I mean, I know what excitation is, obviously, as a word, uh-huh. but in this context, like, I don't know how, what that is as a medical diagnosis. It's, it's that, um, easily excited, easily, it's kind of like agitation, but like the implication being less aggro. Right. That makes sense. Okay. I'm already forming a picture of how those symptoms could definitely be perceived as like, oh shit, you're a werewolf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's also hypersalivation. Oh, okay. Foaming at the mouth. The the foamy mouth. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then difficulty swallowing and hydrophobia. Hydrophobia being literally fear of water. That's so interesting that a virus could cause it's hydrophobia. It's so wild. It's so wild. Well, and I I wonder if... So once you've made it to this point, you're dying. Mm-hmm. There's no cure once you've made it to... So, so according to the CDC, um, less than 10 documented cases of human survival from clinical rabies have ever been reported. Wow. Ever. History of man. And only two of those were without some kind of medical treatment, basically, like, immediately attempting to vaccinate them. Right. Whoever those... So, essentially, two people ever have survived rabies. I hope those two people contributed a lot to the gene pool before they died. Like, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Like, I hope that they had, like, 30 babies, like, just (laughs) a good dose of that immune system into the human gene pool. Like, that's appreciated. I think if I ever survived rabies, I would just spend the rest of my life popping out kids, like. (laughs) And hoping that they didn't also have rabies. Yeah. Because could you imagine making rabid babies? That would be sad something fierce. Yeah. I think I just wrote a zombie movie. Anyway. (laughs) um... (laughs) So, yeah, once you've made it to this point, uh, death usually usually comes within days. Mm -hmm. But essentially, you have a relatively normal person who's a little bit sick for a while, suddenly behaves like a rabid dog, and then dies. And that 
was a thing that they got from being bitten by a rabid dog. So, was rabies really common when werewolf mythology was being, like, I don't know how prevalent of a disease this really was before it was cured. Do you think, how heavily do you think that influenced the development of the myth? I think rabies has been kind of ever present. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of not been the biggest deal, but it's been a thing that everyone is scared of. Right. I guess considering it doesn't transmit like through drinks or through like, I guess if it's It's no black plague. Yeah. It's probably, I mean, the transmission is going to be limited to like, if someone with rabies, someone or something with Mm -hmm. rabies bites you. So yeah, I guess it would never get quite as pandemic as. Yes. But like I attached that medieval wood carving yeah. of the townspeople fighting off a black uh, a rabbit, rabbit dog. dog. Yeah. Black dog. Black plague. Um, and you can see the dog biting that man. And this is when I made the realization like, A, that must have been horrifying because you just realized that that dog sentenced you to death. Shit. In like a fucked up way. Yeah. And B... This is where the bit by a werewolf become a werewolf comes from. Right. That makes sense. Obviously, yeah. So something else that I think is really interesting about this is um, the idea of a trusted friend turning on you. Oh. Right? For real. It's the fact that dogs literally exist because of us. Like, Mm -hmm. dogs are genetically unique from wolves. And are literally a species that humans created, like, that is, that is some, not the oldest, but one of the oldest forms of animal husbandry, like, you know, a species came to be. we love each other. Yeah, we had a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> they cleaned up our, our camps, right? We fed them. We, you know, it, it was this most trusting, you know, bromance we that ever could be. We each other protection. Yeah. And so I think that I'm really interested, too, in how much sort of that relationship being turned on its head plays into the fear of werewolves and the, and the horror of that myth. Yeah. I imagine that we'll probably get into that a lot more when we start covering the media, because you get a lot more like human analysis of it. Yeah. Um, but it definitely is like a factor of what makes the werewolf so horrifying Mm -hmm. is so so one one of them is definitely like i thought i could trust this person i thought i could trust this animal and then they kill me in a brutal horrific way and then another one is who's really the monster yeah yeah for sure and honestly we get into who's really the monster with like all of the myths and all of the stories because it's pretty fucked like, a lot of these stories are like, wow, that's fucked. <laughs> wow, that's fucked. That's our <laughs> hashtag. Wow, that's fucked. Yeah. Wow, that's fucked. But I mean, okay, so so this was a load of fun to research because it has everything. It has weird old people, poets writing about it. It has weird monsters and, like, the mythos that's spread by the town people, which is, like, literally where the pitchforks comes from mm-hmm. and pomegranates and pitchforks. And it has, like fucking gnarly serial killers. Ooh, there are serial killers in the werewolf There's mythos. serial killers. There's real serial killers. There's uh, cryptids. It's, oh my god. It's, a, it's, all it's an everything you could ever want bag of 
It is the stocking stuffers for Halloween Town. <laughs> A smorgasbord of terrible. It is so good. <laughs> so, so yeah, this story definitely has everything. The werewolf mythos is freaky, freaky fascinating. Okay. What are werewolves, okay. Alex? What are the werewolves? All right. Let's get into what are the werewolf. Wolf. Uh, okay. So, because I'm a classy broad, basically all of this information was taken from Wikipedia. <laughs> Full disclosure. Wikipedia yeah, may or may not have for, been referenced. For what, for, for specifically what is the werewolf? Mm-hmm. Because essentially everybody knows what a werewolf is, but, this is, but nobody really, like there's a little bit of nuance in it throughout everything. Right. So having a nice succinct definition is beneficial. Yeah, or at least having, like, a compilation mm-hmm. of definitions. Okay. And I figured since it's a compilation, and especially of, like, old, like, European folklore from all over Europe, using Wikipedia as my, like, major source for this, I don't feel guilty. Oh, don't. Don't at all. Yeah. So, as far as what are a wolf, uh, okay, you get a traditionally, it's a human- with the ability to shapeshift into a wolf. Or in more modern myths, it's a, like, man-beast hybrid. Okay. So instead of... Now, oh, okay. So instead of shifting... I see what you're saying. Either shifting directly into a wolf or a human shifting into a humanoid wolf. Like... Mm-hmm. Extra... Yeah. yeah. Okay. So as a, that was actually probably one of the most distinct features that I noticed while doing this research. Mm-hmm. Is that for the most part... Old werewolves were wolves Mm -hmm. that happened to also be men. Right. They were a man sometimes and a wolf sometimes, but not a weird hybrid creature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a handful of stories where the wolf walked on two legs. um, And in some of the more modern, still, you know, medieval and old, Mm -hmm. but like, some of the more modern werewolves, they had, like, wolf body, but they were really big, mm-hmm. and they had human eyes and voices, but the wolf body. Okay. I, I think I have a vague recollection of the human voice animal body combo. hmm Which is, like, kind of ick, but... Kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, either this was done by choice, mm-hmm. for example, by making a deal with the devil, Hail Satan, or by a curse, which a really good example is the biter scratch. Yeah. Or, I mean, but, this, is a, this is a totally uh, appropriate divergence here, or, or Beauty and the Beast, right? I, rem- I just mm-hmm. barely had this flash of memory to a documentary I watched on Netflix shortly before the most recent Beauty and the Beast came out. And it was about mm-hmm. a boy who was found in the forest, I think in France, who um, had hypertrichosis. It wasn't Hans the werewolf, was it? It, it might have been. I, I'm a little bit fuzzy on this. It was when I still lived in California. But was he taken as a pet? Yes, he went to live in some dude's castle. Ca- uh, uh, I'm sorry, palace as a pet, uh, kind of like half pet, half like uh, ward kind of thing. 
right? So he mm-hmm. was like put in suits and cleaned up and, and trained to have really good manners and everything, but also still considered to be totally subhuman. Mm-hmm. And that they think that's part of the basis for Beauty and the Beast. And and I do wonder about the whole um, appearance of the werewolf, right? Like as, commun- as societies grow and communication improves, uh, you're going to be more aware of things like, you know, boys with hypertrichosis and be like, oh, you can have like a war- a wolf that stands and walks around like a human. Mm. Right? Like yeah. older mythos would be man directly to dog versus newer, if only because you're actually going to be more aware of those conditions would be mm-hmm. humanoid. Yeah. Well, okay, so this is actually relevant because I thought about putting in Hans the Werewolf, mm-hmm. Hans the Werewolf. Hans. Uh, and then ultimately I think I decided not to. Mm-hmm. But I do know the story because I did a lot of research. So he was a he was an early 18th century. Mm-hmm. So he was one of the later of the real werewolf stories. Yeah. And he was found walking the woods on all fours. He didn't speak. Retrospectively, they think he had Pitt Hawkins syndrome. Which is what? It's a I think it's a developmental like birth. You're born with it disorder. God, I suck. It's a developmental disorder that, like, okay. you know, delays intelligence and has, like, certain facial and body features okay. associated with so it. So he had that in addition um, to hypertrichosis. I don't... Yes. He was a hairy boy. But he... Basically, they thought he might have been raised by wolves. See, I thought I heard something in, in this documentary that talked about how they suspect that there was actually just, like... Because people would be banished from their uh, villages and stuff like that if they had those kinds of deformities. And so Mm. they were speculating that, like, there was actually, like, a small group of... uh... This was when I was really interested in uh, Sasquatch research. (laughs) And so it came up in relation to this and and the idea of ostracized people living uh, incognito in isolated areas. Because they had been, you know, because they'd been kicked out of their villages because of superstition and fear. And so the idea that, like, if we're probably thinking of the exact same story, but the idea that could be also that, like, and also sometimes uh, genetic disorders or birth defects do stack up, right? If you have one anomaly, you're more likely to have another. So the idea Mm -hmm. that his parents could have easily just been kicked out of their community and then gave birth to him Mm -hmm. in the woods and then he wandered away, like, (laughs) could have happened. I mean, look, everybody lost their children in these eras. That was, like, status quo. Yep. That's why you have 16. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. Hans the Werewolf, I will probably not be telling further stories about, but he he is a really good example of, like, kind of where does the man meet beast, mm-hmm. yada, yada, um... Kind of an inter- interesting story. I just felt like it didn't really contribute to the werewolf mythos as much as I wanted it. It doesn't necessarily... No, it doesn't. It's definitely more of a of an aside about why people think the way that they do. Yeah. But it's a really great example of, like, some of the other stuff that we'll talk about in this mm-hmm. with superstitions and... Yeah. Yeah. Men, beast, yada, yada. So... Back to what our wolf... Okay, so the mo- our modern werewolf starts with the ancient man-into-beast stories. And then eventually you mixed that in with just the general awfulness of 
medieval Europe. <laughs> the general awfulness, yes. Just the general awfulness. So it was influenced by real wolf attacks, mm-hmm. as well as the Christian-held winch hunts. Yes. And this is also the time when it stopped being, like, a curse by the gods or um, some kind of fable that's also actually an allegory for something else and starts becoming like you literally made a deal with satan and that's the only way right, you, that you become a werewolf you chose this yeah because christian witch hunts. right that makes sense you have to be able to demonize the enemy right so you mm-hmm. can't murder them if they're a victim they have to be a perpetrator yeah so then it moved over to the new world where we mixed in some of the local legends and cryptoids that we have in North America. Um, and then uh, we gave it the Hollywood effect. And now we have what we have now. Go Hollywood. Go Hollywood. So in European folklore, you could tell a werewolf from... They had a unibrow. So anybody with so a everyone in Eastern Europe was a werewolf. Everyone in Europe, yeah, hairy unibrow. Uh, they had curved fingernails. They had low set ears, and they walked with a swinging sw- stride. So swagger, a swagger. So a dude with a unibrow and a swagger. So a Greek guy <laughs> <laughs> coming to steal your women. Let's, let's get gross. Um, <laughs> Let's get gross. So, so that was, that was the like external features. Also, if you cut them, mm-hmm. you could see the fur below. Below their skin. Their skin. Oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's a painful transformation, huh? They like ripped their so layers So it was like they were wearing and... a skin suit. See, that's. Which is really interesting. Ooh. Because that's like opposite of how you become a wolf. Is by wearing the wolf pelt. Right. So that's layers. That's super interesting too. Just the idea of even something as simple as that, like that instills what you are, right? If you're, if the fur is beneath and you're wearing a human suit, you are not a human, right? So the right? idea that at your core you are this beast and that you're walking mm-hmm. around as a human is very different than the idea of like you've been cursed to transform. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more. Uh... The whole wolf from Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, subterfuge and trickery and... Uh, You're a wolf wearing human clothes. Very intentional trying to be the bad guy. Or human skin. Human skin. Yeah. So so that's pretty spoopy. Uh, and then in animal form, they, they look just like ordinary wolves, although they wouldn't have tails. Wait, say that again? In animal form... They looked like ordinary wolves, Except for no but they didn't tails. have tails. Because humans don't have tails. Right, okay. So what would they turn into a tail? Right, okay. And that's another crossover to the witch hunts, because that's a thing with, like, witches becoming animals, is witches wouldn't have tails. Because humans don't have tails. Right. And that's how you could tell that they were a witch. In their animal form, if they were an animal without a tail, it was a witch animal. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, I like that. that. Yeah, that's fun. I love that. That's fun. I love that one. That one's fun. And then uh, after returning to the human form, they were left weak and exhausted. Which comes up in uh, Norse stuffs. 
The universal, though, is that they all have the animalistic hunger to feast on human flesh. So, for this myth to work, all animals-based nature makes them want to eat human flesh. Or at least wolf-based nature. Yeah. Which, again, I think is super interesting, considering the, you know... Uh, derivation of dogs from wolves and the fact that dogs like only desire is to be our best friend and so then we have these Mm -hmm. this uh other side of the coin which is wolves only want to eat our flesh Mm -hmm. well and i mean like you know the werewolf mythos and the wolves only want to eat our flesh and like the little red riding hood stories and all of those like that nearly eradicated all of the wolves in europe really yeah they were endangered for a while, and then we basically put holds on hunting without, like, a license and good cause, and now their populations are coming back up. But so that's that was it. It was not a ranching thing or an industry thing or an encroachment on territory thing. It was a, uh, it was a superstition thing. Like, well, we, we would, you know, fuck up their area by, you know, being like, this is ours, you can't be here. But when we were outright hunting them in their turf, mm-hmm. that was superstition. Okay. So you're saying there isn't the encroachment issue, but that, like, there's actually mm-hmm. a measurable, like, incidence of people going out and killing wolves because they're afraid of werewolves. Yeah. Well, and also, like, sometimes there really were wolf attacks on people. Right. You which... know, when we were basically living in the woods, we were easy eaten. Well, and too, like, just, you know, modern culture isn't the obviously isn't the first or isn't the first time that we've started pushing into the wilderness the wilderness used to be a lot bigger and so you're Mm -hmm. right there are inherent risks with that and like you know just like you know the uintas are well traveled for uh you know a a national forest and Mm -hmm. i still bring bear mace when i go out there because i know whose backyard i'm in yeah yeah, and the thing is, like, it's not like where it's not like wolf attacks don't exist anymore. It's just that they're substantially less common because we know how to not live in the forest for the most part, right? But like, wolves are still a dangerous wild animal. Yeah. So if you see a wolf in the wild, don't like go up to it. Yeah. But people Duh. nowadays are just vastly less <laughs> likely to see wolves in the wild because of you know a vast majority of people living in cities. Yes. Um, okay, so there's the choosing to become a werewolf, and there's the werewolf by curse. And the choosing to become a werewolf was a lot more common and varied in ye old lore. Across, across so, multiple cultures? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so usually you, you would choose it as opposed to it being thrust upon you. And you would do that by wearing a wolf skin... Or a belt made of wolf skin. Okay. You could use an... And all of these are magical. It's a magical wolf skin. Uh, They would use an ointment or salve, topically. Mm -hmm. Magical, of course. Magical salve. Magical. A magical salve. Eating herbs or poisons. Uh, Some of the other weird ones that were definitely from, like exclusively Wikipedia were drinking rainwater from the animal's footprint. Oh, that's cool. Would turn you to a werewolf. There's one story. So 
so there's a werewolf later that I'm going to get into that's a real wacky story. And he was definitely like making it up as he went along and being a total weirdo. But he blew into an ale jug mm-hmm. and like said, now you're a werewolf. And that's how you transmitted being a werewolf. Okay. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> sleeping outside with the full moon shining on your face. Or obviously making a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. Or God, perhaps? Anyway, Hell Satan. Hell Satan. Uh, then there was the werewolf by curse, which was an actual curse by God or Satan or whatever. A God. Or bitten or scratched by an, by an already existing werewolf. Okay. Then there were some, there were some cures in, in Yield. There was medicinal cures, like herbs, uh, so like wolfsbane. Mm -hmm. You could exercise out the werewolf. You can tell that these are all, like, Christian Europe. Yeah. Calling the beast by their Christian name. Okay. Or converting to Christianity. Okay. Cure your werewolfism. Okay. Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then there's the alternative, which is to kill the werewolf, which you get in modern media. There's no, there, there's no curing lycanthropy. There is only, only the killing silver lycanthropy. Bullet. Mm-hmm. There's only the and silver bullet. Okay. There's silver bullets and there's burning the body in its entirety. Ooh. Yep. So those are, those are our kind of like foundational and now we can get into the story time. Story time! Are we ready for story time? I'm ready for story time. All right. Let's go back 3,000 years. Woo! All right. We're going to Mesopotamia, 2100 BC. Okay. With the, El- with the Epic of Gilgamesh. So this was actually written down 1,000 years later by... Sin Leki Unini. Okay. And the only reason I felt the need to, like, bring up his name is because the meaning of his name was Moon God Accept My Prayer. All right. And I thought that was kind of interesting because Moon Because Moon God, yes. Yeah. But it's not really that important. It's more of a fun fact. It's more of a fun fact. So this is, uh, you know, 2000 B.C., and in the Epic of Gilgamesh, we have what's sort of the first example of man to wolf. Okay. So Ishtar is the goddess of love and war. And she lusts after Gilgamesh after he comes home from a battle and washes the blood off of him. And she's like, damn, that is one fine hunk of man. So she promises him riches and all of the fanciest shit you could dream of. But he rejects her because of her history with other human lovers. As well as the fact that he can't offer her anything since she is a god. Therefore, she doesn't need anything. Ooh. So she tantrums something fierce and threatens to release the dead from the underworld to feast on the living. Damn. Which... I think that's kind of neat because that kind of throws in some like ghosts and revenants and zombies. Uh, zombies. Yep. Monsters are like interrelated guys. 
we don't exist in a vacuum. That's super <laughs> cool. Where there's werewolves, there's zombies. Whoop whoop. Or a woo woo. A woo woo. I am so sorry for that. <laughs> don't be sorry. That's beautiful. A woo woo. So she brings down the bowl of heaven to gore Gilgamesh to death. The bull is released and wreaks some, like, hella havoc, but ultimately is defeated. So, that's the that's that story. Ishtar's previous lovers are a shepherd who was transformed into a bird with a broken wing, a goat herder into a wolf, a gardener into a frog, and Tammuz, a shepherd, is also killed, but then reborn as a god. And that's, like, all part of the poem. Okay. And I have a quote here that is his, uh, his turning Ishtar down. You loved a shepherd, a herdsman, who endlessly put up cakes for you and every day slaughtered kids for you. You struck him, turned him into a wolf. His own boys drove him away and his dogs tore his hide to bits. Oh, damn. So not only did he get turned into a wolf, but his kids chased him off and his dogs ate him. Yep. So... <sighs> This is, like, our first example of, like, man into wolf. And it began as, like, overtly a curse. Like, a a bitchy god was like, I'm done with you. Go be a wolf. Yeah. And that's our, that's our, like, setting for man to wolf. And then we jump forward, like, 2,000 years. Because my next example is, these are all written examples. Okay. But it's uh, Virgil's Eclogues. Okay. And so this is 37 BCE. And he writes the story of Lycidas and Morris. And Morris used sorcery and herbs and poisons to transform into a wolf. Here's the quote. By their aid, I have oft seen Morris turn wolf and hide in the woods, oft call spirits from the depth of the grave and charm sown corn away to other fields. Wow. So So essentially the implication being that he was a sorcerer. Right. So magical that he could get plants to transplant to other fields. Mm hmm. Nice. Yeah. And I guess I also thought that was kind of neat because he could turn into a wolf but he also could bring people back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And so again, you get like a werewolf zombie crossover. Yes. I love that werewolf it, zombie crossover. Yeah. Ever present. So that's kind of fun. But not a lot on that. It wasn't, it was, it was fine. It was hard to get through. It wasn't my favorite thing that I've ever read. Yeah. <laughs> there was a wolf. There was a wolf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, The next example is by Gaius Petronius. Uh, He wrote Satyricon, which is a works of satire. Okay. So he wrote a book called Satyricon that were satirical works. Mm -hmm. Just just let that linger. (laughs) I feel like I'm missing something. It's like if I wrote a comedy and named it Comedia. Oh, I see. Yes. You should do that. 
<laughs> hey, I will. Comedia. I'll do that. Comedia. It's just silly. Anyway, so this is about, this is late first century, probably about 61 Common Era. So it was a big, it was a big work of stories, but one particular story was about a soldier, Nicaros, who was traveling with an acquaintance. They stopped to take a leak and the dude pees in a circle, rips off all of his clothes, transforms into a wolf and runs off towards the nearest town. Okay. (laughs) So the peeing in a circle thing is important then. I imagine, I guess it's basically like you take off your human clothes and then you do this very like wolfy thing by like, you know, marking your territory in a circle. Right. And that's how you transform. Right. That's like the mechanism for your transformation. Yeah. And then later, Nikaros goes and meets a woman from the town who tells him that a wolf had been killed by a bunch of farm animals. Wait, no. Had <laughs> killed a bunch of farm who animals? Who killed a bunch of farm animals, but then was slain by a servant. Oh. Yeah. So he lost his so, buddy. So he lost his buddy. But that was a weird story. <laughs> Gaius, weird story. Way to go. So that's, that's a thing. <laughs> um, oh, that's out of order. Oopsie poopsie. There we go. All right. So let's go back to Greece. We're doing... Um, back to Greece? Greece. Let's go to Greece. Ancient Greece. Very ye old. So this story is, you know, from the ancient Grecian empire so it's probably older so it's probably more in the bc Uh area but we're looking at 800 bc to 600 ce area okay and we get the story of zeus and lycaon okay lycaon you see the like lycos Uh uh again so like lycaon was the king of arcadia and in his hubris he decided to test Zeus's omniscience by attempting to serve him human flesh. In most versions of the story, the flesh was actually that of Lycaon's youngest son, Nyctimus. Damn, Lycaon. He's a savage. Yeah. Pretty fucky. So, Zeus was in fact omniscient, and in Zeus form through a mighty Zeus tantrum And overturned the table and threw a shit fit. And as punishment, he transformed Lycaon and his remaining children into wolves, cursing them to eat the flesh of man forever. Okay. Then he also... So that kind of answers the question about why wolves are uh, so compelled to consume the flesh of man. Mm Because it's their curse. Yeah, it's part of it. Yeah. Uh, modern interpretations point out, point to this story as like a moral anecdote mm-hmm. by more modern Greeks about the repugnancy of cannibalism that at the time may have still been practiced by some of the more traditional Greeks of Arcadia mm-hmm. who still performed cannibalistic rituals in the name of Zeus. Okay. So the story might've just come to be as a way to get them to stop doing that. Like, no, no, Zeus hates this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and that, that kind of brings us to Lycaea, which is a uh, festival mm-hmm. in Arcadia that was held on Mount Lycaon, 
this is just like wolf 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 wolf, wolf the story wolf, 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 wolf. yes um it's the tight it's the tallest peak of arcadia and this festival also included a secret ritual mm. in this secret ritual there was the the ritual surrounded like subjects of human sacrifice and cannibalism as well as transformation into werewolves okay. by the young men participating in the ritual. Okay. So every nine years, a mixture was made of human and animal flesh. The subject would partake in the mixture and it would turn them into a wolf. And he would stay that way unless he withheld from human flesh for the next nine year cycle. So he would stay that way as long as he didn't eat human flesh? No, he would stay as a wolf if he did eat human flesh. Oh, okay. So as long as he could control himself, then he wouldn't be a wolf anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. If he could if he could withhold human flesh for the whole nine year cycle, then he could become a man again. Damn. So that's so like it was a... kind of Sorry. Oh, I just it sounds like a a test of your not just test of your manhood, but test of your metal. Willpower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of like an interesting mix of a uh, curse and chosen werewolf right. lycanthropy. This is your gift. This is your curse. That is my gift. That is my curse. Because yes. was there a was there a benefit then to you know if they were chosen, you know to to participate in that? Then would they if they made it through the nine years and were able to be a human again? Was it just like okay, you can be human again, or was there some sort of like? I paid my dues. I showed I'm worthy. Now this happens. Well, for um, for turning into a werewolf, I feel like it was it was one of those like monkey's paws deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. Like there's good and bad in it, and I feel like the good was that you became like powerful and you got all of this stamina and all of this strength and all of you know you got claws and teeth and eyesight and hearing of a wolf Mm -hmm. and so you became like really powerful adversary but the like consequence of that was the like bloodlust okay right that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's such a common theme and it's maintained like this power as a story to this day is It's a classic power story Mm -hmm. of, like, too much power corrupts, where you do it because you want the power, but the consequences are also your nature. Right. So, that's Greek. And it's what Greeks do. (laughs) It's what Greeks do. It's what Greeks do. Other than butt stuff. (laughs) What about, I feel something, something was skipped in the outline. Yes. Okay. Yes. So this, I, I intentionally turned things around because I was like, that doesn't make sense. 800 CE doesn't come before 800 BCE. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So now we're moving on to Norse uh, berserker berserkers and norse animal cults exciting so we're looking at about 800 ce mm-hmm. and we're looking at like ancient norse which is like mostly iceland but you also get like finland sweden it's like that weird 
ick sec- cold section of Europe. Right. North of Great Britain and yes. Yeah. Just real cold. Anything but basically Vikings... north of Great Britain and Sweden. They're just like, we got this. Yeah. Yep. Northwestern Europe. But powerful warriors. As I will tell you. Mm, tell so, me about these powerful warriors. These powerful warriors. Okay, so there was the there was these three main animal cults. The first one were the there was the cult of the boar, uh-huh. which was the uh uh Yeah, good luck. Svinfil King. I'm sorry, one more time. The Svinfil King? Svinfil King, okay. So thanks. Think swine. swine. Right. Yep. Svinfil King was the boar. Then there was the bear, which was the berserker. 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 And then there's the wolf, which is the Ulfjonar. Ulfjonar. Okay. So, starting with the Svinfil King, uh, they were the boar warriors, and they fought in the lead of battle in a formation known as the boar's head, which was the Svinfil King. Mm-hmm. There were two warriors that led that formation as the Rani or the Snout. Okay. And they specialized in disguise and escape using the power of the boar in their martial arts. So tucking low and pushing through? Yeah. Kind of like, which kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of like, you can't have like a wild pig because it'll go feral? Yeah. So I think that was kind of the thing was that they like really, really knew their like surroundings and they used that. So like the disguise and the escape, that was their thing was like really, really being familiar with their setting. Almost like gorilla. being able to use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's ki- and, and also clearly they had like that tight pack formation that they were able to fight in. Well, well, I just picture a lot of like shoulder checking and tucking low and getting people in the solar, you know, solar plexus, just bringing your head down mm-hmm. and pushing through. Right. Yeah, I can hella say that. Especially with the, the Ronnie. Yeah. Like the whole the idea of the formation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we have the Berserkers, which are the Bear Warriors. And that's like the the name that we know. Right. Because it's become the English word Berserk. Yeah. Which means to like go crazy and wild and intense in your fighting. Yeah. You know? Or in other things. but Crazy, wild, intense. The implication, yeah. you know, hella aggro. So the bear warriors would traditionally go into battle wearing only the skin of a bear. That's right. Right? Fucking woof. <laughs> no. Growl. Woof. Um, <laughs> so they would end. So it was, it was said that they would enter a trance like state of wild animal, animalistic fury. And during these fits, they were immune to steel and fire and they would tear through their enemies. Which, I mean, factually we know is is accurate. They actually did go into these uh, tranced out states because, as you were referencing earlier, the use of herbs and poisons. Like, these right. same people who are known for going berserker are the same people who are known for, you know, in various states of undress, consuming large amounts of poisons and hallucinogens, mostly in the form of psilocybin mushrooms, and going fucking crazy before going into battle. Right. Which, like, um, you know, whatever, man. Like, if you're mm-hmm. probably going to die in battle, like, do it. If that gives you the edge, if if being in a trance and dangling your willy gives you the edge, then do it. 
Yeah, well, and, like, there's totally some validity to that because, like, could could you imagine anything more scary than, like, going into battle when you're all decked out in full plate mail mm-hmm. and you're up against somebody who's just wearing a bear pelt on them? It's not protecting them. It's just on them. Right, it's just on their back. You're like, like that man is not scared to die. Yeah. He will die trying to kill me. Fuck. Yeah. So, super intimidating. And also, like, you know, their martial art was to, like, enter this trance-like state. And also, blah, 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 herbs and poisons. And then, after they, like, left the state, they were left weak and timid. Which kind of goes back to, um, you know, the the leaving the werewolf state where you're... Right. left like drained of energy and like kind of sickly right. so it was also said that when they would go berserk they would like change forms so in some interpretations that's behavioral and in some inter- interpretations uh they would actually take on the form of a bear well and again you know separating the uh literal from the metaphor can be difficult here i feel like because mm-hmm. there's been modern studies that actually show the extent to which our appearance like even pretty big things that you wouldn't think would change, like how people perceive your face shape and things like that. Like right. structural uh, aspects of our appearance, how much they change when we're very angry or something like that. Like mm-hmm. that you do look different. Yeah. Yeah. And we were definitely like making animalistic faces. Yeah. And also we were wearing a bear head on our head. Yeah. <laughs> wearing animal, like wearing animal carcasses as clothing going into battle. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're going to look different. Yeah. So you get some like real hard, like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. And then we've got the uh, Ulf Yonar, which were the wolf warriors and they appear in legends from Europe, but they also appear in, you know, legends from the, the Turks, the Mongols uh, and North American natives, which kind of goes back to like the skinwalkers. But in Norse stories, they, too, entered the battle wearing only wolf pelts. Mm -hmm. So they were really similar to the berserkers. And they were considered the special warriors of the god Odin. Okay. I forgot Odin had Mm -hmm. a wolf thing, but he did, huh? Yep. Uh, You know, see also, like, Fenrir. Mm -hmm. And then they would enter a wild animal state during battle. And during this state, it was said that they were immune to fire and iron. Which, again, maybe not immune so much as all that adrenaline, I don't mm -hmm. give a fuck. Yep. And so you get these real-life scenarios that were just clouded in metaphor. And super intense. So the people who Mm -hmm. who are speaking and writing about them later, of course, their interpretation of them is going to be a lot less literal and a lot more like, holy fuck, I'm talking about this trippy... Like, Mm -hmm. just, I mean, not to get too into the woods here, but... Just the um, chemicals that are going to be being released in your brain in that kind of a situation, that's going to feel surreal. There is no way to experience that situation and have it not be a big trippy metaphor, I feel like. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, and also, like, even talking about it, like, in... Because these were cults. Like, these were their animal cults. These were their, like, religious... They... um, That was their daily life. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And so that was, like, part of who they were and their identity. And so it really is incredibly difficult to separate the reality from the legend. Well, because it's how they're experiencing their reality. Yeah, because they were kind of the same thing. Yeah, they were literally a cult. So how they were experiencing reality was shaped by what they believed. Which is true for everybody, but, you know, 
I, I figure it's yeah. going to be a lot more intense when your religion is able to be defined as a cult, not just, you know, a loosely held belief system. Well, I mean, cults are a weird... We'll get into cults later in Right, in I understand there's a uh, podcast. pretty big difference in, you know, <laughs> modern day cult cults and, like, what we would consider mm-hmm. a religious cult of the past. Like, I, I get there's yeah. a difference. But I, I feel like basically, like, they were just like any other, like, Norse worshiper of the gods, mm-hmm. except for they were really, really, really dedicated to this one sect that was their... Which... It was their livelihood, it was their fighting style, it was their martial art... You know. Which, to my understanding, was more prevalent the farther back you go, right? We People have these, these broader religions that they ascribe to, and then they find a god that that's the one that they're going to kind of identify with as a tribe or as a clan, and that's how they base their life. Yeah. Which I'm really into. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. I, I was talking to Kelly about this the other day, and... Um, I was saying that, like, Christianity completely fucked up my chances of being a theist. <laughs> because, so the reason, the reason that I became an agnostic and ultimately became, a, you know, an atheist is because I was just completely unwilling to, bo- to like, buy this belief that, like, every single person is right and everyone else is going to hell, even though there's not a single, like, belief that is the majority. Right. I was like, not, no, fuck all of you. You're all wrong. But if we lived in, like, a polytheistic world where, like, there was a ton of gods and everybody was a little bit right, and the, and especially, like, if we lived in, like, you know, the old gods mm-hmm. where, like, the gods were absolutely, like, flawed humans right. just with superpowers, yeah, I would be way more willing to believe that they existed. Oh, for sure. Well, and I think that would be more relevant to your experience, too. I think... As far as Mm -hmm. thinking about what you can apply to your life and your experiences and, you know, what you can identify with on a daily basis. It's like something that's specific to my region and my practices and how I make my livelihood or something that's totally, completely ephemeral and is supposed to be all-knowing. Like, mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically this, like, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God I've never been able to find a good excuse for why bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God works in mysterious ways. It's not a good enough. No, it's like, never. Excuse. It's never good enough. But if the gods are just powerful beings and they're also a bunch of assholes, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes, I'd buy yeah. that. <laughs> that I believe. Right. I'd be willing to believe that. So Christians, you fucked you you fucked me. You're the reason I'm going to hell. You're the reason I'm going to hell. I don't even believe in a god, let alone the right one. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But I digress. I digress. I digress too, although it's 926, so we gotta finish at some yeah. point. Alright, let's let's finish up all of the story stories mm-hmm. and then we can have the next part be, you know, basically the dated like here's an example okay, of stories cool. so last story for the night is we're gonna do the volsunga eh, the volsunga saga volsunga saga which i love that that sounds great is yes it's very it's very old norse it's a 13th century epic poem icelandic i believe mm-hmm. it's got north norse mythology that relays real events as far back as the fifth century. So it is. So it's. So it's. 
some of it is untrue, but the event or whatever is clearly mythos, but the events that it's relaying did in fact happen. Yeah. Okay. It's basically 13th century historical fiction. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool in its own right. Yes. And in this story, a father and son pair, Sigmund and uh, Svint, eh, Sinfjolti. 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 Fjolti. Okay. Yes, Sinfjolti. Fuck. God, Norse words. Okay. Yeah, you think it'd be white enough to pair. pronounce this correctly. Bro, I tried so hard, no. but there's a lot of languages in this story. <laughs> Sinfjolti. <laughs> yeah. So, father and son pair, Sigmund and Sinfjolti. Uh, They discovered a strange hut in the forest. Inside the hut were two sleeping men, and above them hung two magical wolf pelts. Donning the pelts would transform the wearer into a wolf, but the skin could only be removed every ten days. They decided to split up to hunt using the wolf pelts, but agreed that if they encountered a group of, in most stories, uh, seven hunters or more, they would howl for the other one. Sinfjotli, however, broke his word and killed a group of eleven. So when Sigmund discovered this, he he bit Sinfjotli's windpipe, which lethally wounded him, and Odin sent a raven feather to heal the boy. When they finally were able to remove the pelts, they burned them. So they realized, so that's, that's an instance of the, uh, the gift curse, right? Like, they're more mm-hmm. effective hunters, but then they have the impulse control issues of a mm-hmm. wild animal. Yeah, he, like, nearly killed his son. Yeah. And would have if it weren't for the... Well, not like, for Odin. ...interference of a god. Yeah. yeah. And and then you also have, like, a, uh, a sort of, like, time-lapse cycle mm-hmm. thing in yeah. there. So you've got the nine years from Lycaon, and you've got the ten days from uh, the Volsunga Saga. Yeah. And, and so you get a lot of the themes that we're going to see in our modern legend of the werewolf. And yeah, I think that's a really great place to leave off. Perfect. We have, we have base, we have basically all of the like mythos background. And then I'll tell you about Veslav of European. uh, Yeah. Veslav. It's kind of like Veslav, but there's like a Zis in there. The is important. The Vizes. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god. These names. Northern Belarus, so it's like Russia. Mm-hmm. Russia, Bulgaria, Poland, like that area. Woof. <laughs> Woof. Yeah. Polotsk. I can handle Polotsk. Polotsk. Although that's a Utah ask Utah accent right there. Yeah. Polotsk. Polotsk. There's no way that's how you say it. No. <laughs> Polotsk. Something. Yeah. But yeah, uh, from this point on, we'll be doing, you know, basically, I have real dates on these stories. Yeah, like 1039 and 1521. Yep, real dates, and we'll get into some European holy fuckery. Holy fuckery sounds great to me. And it'll be a good time, and there'll be even more words that I can't pronounce. Sweet. (laughs) But yeah, that's the that's the intro mythos, and I hope you enjoy. I enjoyed immensely. I hope our listeners enjoyed. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> oh, oh! All right! Oh, oh! <laughs>
<laughs> so clearly we've changed our name. So our social media is different. If you were already following us, then it's fine. But our new social media is just Palm Pitch Pod. Alliteration makes it super easy to remember. Palm Pitch Pod. Yep. So P-O-M-P-I-T-C-H-P-O-D. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. That's at Gmail. And that's brilliant. And hit us up there. Oh, talk to us. We love it. <laughs> yes, it will be good times. Lots of fun. Yes. And we will be going to Russia soon. And... <laughs> <laughs> I am just here to offend every single European with this cross-cultural European language study of how Alex can't pronounce shit. <laughs> A study on how Alex can't pronounce shit. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, I'll post some pictures from today and it'll be it'll be a good time. Awesome. All right. Okay, love you, bye. Love you, bye.